So I'm coming at it from two different directions right now. First is following the money. And so that is which ecosystems or types of DeFi protocols are attracting new money right now. And if you were to look at it that way, then then I would say Ethereum layer twos are still, if you look at the activity over time, as well as just stablecoin inflows, that's still, I think, a very, very strong, compelling narrative. Um, um, high throughput layer ones are another. So that would be things like Solana, like say, like some other some other new chains, possibly like, like SWE. Um, and then uh, if you look at where the money goes, you also have, have I would say the modular ecosystem. And so that would be, uh, for example, Eigenlayer is an important part of that. Uh, Celestia is an important part of that. Welcome to the Edge Podcast. I'm DeFi Dad here with Nomadic from 4RC. Today's show will be an overview of how to identify, strategize, and participate in airdrops. Airdrops remain one of the best risk-reward opportunities in crypto. And so we're happy to host Patrick Scott from Dynamo DeFi as a special guest to walk us through some of his firsthand experience airdrop hunting this past year across Ethereum L2s, Solana, and Cosmos. But before we do, just a quick word from our sponsors who make the Edge podcast possible. Introducing the Mantle Liquid Staking Protocol, Mantle LSP, a permissionless, non-custodial ETH liquid staking protocol deployed on Ethereum L1 and governed by Mantle. With Mantle LSP, users can stake ETH to instantly receive ME, earn yield and accumulate rewards the longer you stake. METH is the value accumulating receipt token that will give you access to expanded yield opportunities. Stake and watch your yield grow with Mantle LSP. For most of us, our crypto journey started with MetaMask. And now with MetaMask Portfolio, we can do so much more. MetaMask Portfolio puts you in control. Use the dashboard to see all your assets and balances across your wallets in one place. The buy feature allows us to buy crypto assets effortlessly with fiat options such as PayPal or credit card. The swap feature allows us to swap any tokens anytime by finding a selection of available rates. The bridge feature allows us to bridge between networks including Ethereum, L1s, and L2s based on the best price and fastest delivery time. And with the stake feature, anyone in a few clicks can stake ETH and earn rewards. Do more in Web3 your way with a safe, simple, and convenient tool that's all in one place. Track and manage your Web3 everything at metamask.io slash portfolio. Mike, before we get back to the show, can you explain what is liquid restaking? Everybody at this point is familiar with the liquid staking. It lets you take your stake ETH, mint a liquid staking token, and then use that token in DeFi. Well, the hottest thing in staking right now is restaking. It's the ability to reuse your stake ETH to provide Ethereum's trust layer to other services that want to benefit from it. Services like data availability layers, Oracle networks, other blockchains, and beyond. The benefit of restaking is that you get to earn additional staking rewards on top of your normal staking rewards. Well, uh, currently, if you want to restake your ETH, uh, your only option is to lock up uh, your ETH. The reason that's a problem is because you can't use your restaked ETH in DeFi. We are launching ETH, uh, the Etherfi liquid restaking token, because with liquid uh, restaking, users get the benefit of staking rewards, restaking rewards, and they get to collect loyalty points for EtherFi and Eigenlayer through this token. So it's the easiest way to get exposure to two up-and-coming uh, early uh, protocols, and on top of that, get all the benefits of staking and restaking. To learn more about ETH liquid staking and liquid restaking, go to ether.fi. It all started so simply with CryptoKitties and Maker on Ethereum, but quickly became complex with more applications and many chains. Today, everyone agrees, UX issues are the biggest blocker standing in the way of crypto adoption. Introducing Avocado. Multi-chain UX redesigned from the ground up. The first wallet to abstract networks, accounts and gas. One gas tank to pay transaction fees on all chains in USDC, and native access to Instadap's powerful, custom DeFi strategies. Avocado, one wallet to rule all chains. 
All right, let's introduce Patrick Scott, the creator of Dynamo, DeFi, YouTube, and Substack, and the co-founder of CoinBeats. Patrick, welcome to the Edge Podcast. How are you doing? Doing great. Glad to be here. What we're going to do with this podcast is uh, we're going to try to give a bit of like an airdrop guide, and we're going to talk a bit about the risk reward, the opportunity to participate in airdrops. We're going to talk a bit then about how to start to identify those. And, and by the way, a lot of what I just referenced will link to videos in the show notes um, from the Dynamo DeFi channel. Um, Patrick has overviews of all different chains and all different projects. So um, really awesome, more detailed follow-up there for you if you want that. Um, and then we'll try to highlight maybe some of our favorite airdrop opportunities. I know one of them that we've been talking quite a bit about is Eigenlayer. Uh, but anyways, on that note, why don't we talk uh, really briefly about your background? And I'm curious, like, what what drew you into this space and, and now has you working full time? Yeah, totally. I mean, it's funny how crypto has a way of uh, when people get into it, it tends to suck you in. Um, where I, I was joking a few months ago that there was some, uh, actually, I think it was it was maybe Larry Fink from BlackRock said something about positive about Bitcoin. And I said, in another year, he's going to be going on CNBC to shill some some layer one just because crypto sucks you in once you start to get into it. Um, so the way I first got into it was back in 2017. I was working in corporate finance at the time. And and uh, like a lot of people, basically a coworker shilled Litecoin to me. And, and um, I got it. I made a Coinbase account, bought it, uh, and then quickly graduated to buying uh, much more risky altcoins and wrote everything down 95% in 2018. Um, so not, you know, probably a pretty typical intro to it, even if not a overwhelmingly successful first intro. Do you recall any of the uh, other tokens there? This is a fun trip down memory lane. What what else did you buy? Actually, some, some of them survived. Um, I think Request Network was one of them. Um, Request Network survived. Um, TRX, of course, I'm still around, but uh, I think I bought it near the exact top. I bought some TRX at the top. Yeah, I'm pretty sure J Justin's son conned me into that. And then and then there was one, I don't even remember the name now. The ticker was something like fun. It was, it was something that was supposed to be a blockchain oh, for like part I remember like circuses that one. or yeah. casinos or something. Uh, I don't think it's still around. I, I had a bag of I think V chain back in the day and then oh da dash dash I was I was starting to run some uh, master nodes in dash that was uh, fun times. Do you guys remember the uh, the narrative around all the different like Ethereum alternatives? Um, th these were like what I mean to call out is Cardano was being called the Ethereum of Japan, Neo was being called like the Ethereum of China. Uh, Icon was being called the Ethereum of Korea, which all of this is so ridiculous too, because like once you understand crypto and you understand like the sort of permissionless nature of it, it's even more ridiculous. It's almost like, you know, showing your cards that like, I am a complete idiot that I thought that this made sense to have an Ethereum of like a, of a part of the world or some like geo. Anyways, I, I gotta say, your, your like recall on the Ethereum killers, like in different geographies, is really impressive. Is that those? Well, that's that's because I got wrecked so badly on those. I mean, not I didn't have enough money to get that wrecked, I guess, back then. But um, they they uh, taught me a lot of lessons. I I watched those tokens go to basically zero during the bear market. Oh, Dragon Chain! I remember Dragon Chain because they were partnered with Disney, even though they were not. It's it's all forgiven. Amazing. It's all forgiven now. We we learned our lessons. Oh wait, IOTA was partnered with Microsoft because they were using like Microsoft Azure or maybe it was AWS. They were it's just ridiculous. Anyways, Patrick, um so you're working in traditional finance. Uh you, you learn about Litecoin and crypto from a friend and yeah, what what's the highlights reel of what happens over the next few years? Like, did you stick with crypto after that into the bear market or did, did you ever quit on it and come back to it later? Yeah. So I, unfortunately I stuck with it for about until probably late summer 2018. And then I kind of lost interest. I had other things going on, unfortunately for myself. Uh, and then in 2020, when everything was shut down, I started to become interested, 
interested again. I was stuck at home, like a lot of people, uh, looking for ways to make money online, looking for things to do, and, and honestly, really starting to study more about um, the actual technology of it. So when I was when I was in traditional finance, um, or rather traditional corporate finance, I was managing budgeting and forecasting for a a large sales area for a consumer packaged goods company. So I was I was basically running their budget for their uh, Walmart sales region, and and that included a lot of forecasting. And at the time, I had this thought: well, you know, like realizing how centralized that whole system is, and this is going to come back to crypto, but realizing how centralized that whole system of uh, food supply chain was, where we would have something where it was like one warehouse was backed up, and then I would see those effects cascade through the entire system and cause delays of weeks somewhere else. Um, and realizing how fragile those sorts of centralized systems are. And at the time I had this idea, okay, there must be a better way to rebuild things in a way that's decentralized, but didn't really know how. And then in 2020, as I started to actually dive into dive into the tech more realizing, you know, crypto, crypto is how. And even though finance is different than something like supply chain, having that decentralized layer for payments and communications and everything else is kind of, I think that's the foundational layer that you can then build other decentralized systems on. So started to get more into it in 2020, uh, sticking mostly to majors with ETH and Bitcoin. Then over the course of the year, like a lot of people got more and more heavy into DeFi. At the time, I wasn't doing any content yet. Um, I was just in my, you know, little lurker, lurker, uh, old, old account, uh, following people and, um, you know, on Twitter, YouTube, forums, whatever, trying to figure stuff out myself. And then 2021 happened um, and I got really into DeFi. So spending a lot of time on a lot of different chains, playing that meta back then. I don't know uh, when the average uh, viewer of this started, started using DeFi, but back then there was this meta that when new chains launched, starting with, I would say, Binance Smart Chain and PancakeSwap, you could buy and farm the DEX token on the new chain. And then that was like, almost a guaranteed payoff when that chain gained traction eventually. No longer the case, by the way, if anyone's watching this, because too many people have caught on. It's been three years. But uh, so I, I was doing that very heavily throughout 2021. And then uh, everyone was into crypto, as I'm sure you remember, right? Everyone was all about crypto. So uh, my family members started getting into crypto. And uh, my dad, who's who's relatively young, he's mid 50s, my dad started getting into it. And he had bought some uh, uh, avalanche and i was telling him oh you know you can go to this dex and you can farm it and it will earn you 110 percent apr and you can compound it and uh he said okay sounds great how do i do that and i couldn't find a video to send him as like, at the time very few people were covering uh multi-chain DeFi farming this was about may of 2021 um and so I said, okay, I'll record a quick one. If you can't figure this out, probably other people can. At the time, you couldn't even withdraw. It wasn't on, AVAX wasn't on Coinbase yet, and you couldn't withdraw it to uh, the Avalanche C chain. You had to withdraw it to the Avalanche X chain, which is their chain for, for like, um, I guess it's like staking and those sorts of things. And then you have to, you have to transfer it using the Avalanche wallet. So I made a tutorial for it and then checked back a couple months later. And uh, at the time, it felt like a ton of views. It had a few hundred views. I was like, wow, you know, I, I, I can post a video and people will watch it. Uh, and it was, I cringe looking back at the video, even though I have it up because um, the quality was so bad, right? I was just, had no camera. I was using a, a $20 microphone I got on Amazon, um, no editing at all. So I would pause and say, uh, um, just stop in the middle. But, but people were watching it. Uh, so I said, hey, you know, I can probably make some more, more DeFi videos. Uh, and then to sort of come at it from a different angle. So I, I started making DeFi videos. And then at the same time, I was also thinking, well, how can I, I wasn't really happy with, with, uh, old career. So I was thinking, what can I do to, to, um, to take something in a different direction that plays more into my strengths. And, and I had read this concept that you should take two things you're good at, and you should figure out how you can combine them. And so I said, okay, well, I, I can, I'm decently good at speaking and teaching people. Every job I've worked, people said, okay, they had me teaching you hires or say, oh, you're good at teaching people. Um, and then, uh, I've, uh, my degree, I have a degree in economics from Harvard. So I was like, so I understand 
the econ side of things, uh, making tutorials about crypto is how I could actually marry those up. Um, and people wanted to watch it. So I started making those tutorials, uh, basically covering DeFi, all sorts of different chains, um, whether that's was Avalanche, Cosmos, Ethereum Layer 2s, Phantom back then, um, many other many other chains that are much smaller. Uh, and then basically built that up through 2021, 2022, stuck with it throughout the bear market this time and um, was fortunate enough to do well enough with trading that I've been able to basically do it full-time for a year and a half. Tell us then more about the state of the Dynamo DeFi YouTube channel and Substack today. So I think you gave a, a nice sort of origin story there, but just like curious uh, what sort of progress you've seen there. I, I think I saw you a while ago tweeting that y- you were clearly seeing an uptick in views. And and I think we, we all know like that's always like a fantastic sign of like the markets coming back um, a- aside from the fact it's personal progress for you. But yeah, anyways, what, what more can you share about the state of Dynamo DeFi today. Yeah, totally. Um, so Twitter is actually my largest platform now, just because I think during the bear market, that was where more people were active. But uh, Dynamo DeFi YouTube uh, just passed 27,000 subscribers on New Year's Eve. And I would say, well, it was not hit 19,000 on New Year's Eve last year. So a uh, decent portion of that growth was in 2023. And actually almost all that growth came in November and December 2023. So I was basically grinding along all year, gaining some days I'd gain a few, some days I wouldn't gain any, some days I would lose some. And then November, December, clear sign that retail interest is returning because suddenly gaining gaining a lot of new subscribers. And a lot of those evergreen videos I made months ago have started to um, started to gain traction. And for people who I guess I didn't really say what I make videos about, it's mostly tutorials. So it'll be everything as basic as how to stake this token to things that are a little bit more in depth, like just trying to be an unbiased overview of a crypto. Recently, I did one that did well about the say token. And so it talks about what it is, how to use it, the tokenomics, the risks and opportunities. And then uh, basically the opportunity that I saw was to do that sort of what I like to think is comprehensive, unbiased overviews of protocols but focus on things that are on-chain. Because there's people who do that, but it's mostly things that have already hit Coinbase or already, already widely available on centralized exchanges. So trying to do that for tokens that are more focused on-chain. Uh, and then also how to use DeFi. Uh, so that's that's Dynamo DeFi YouTube channel. And then uh, Substack, I started that in February of last year, so 2023. And it has about 14,000, 14,000 some subscribers now. Um, it's... Yeah, it's it's done quite well doing similar things, just tracking trends and and on-chain analysis in the crypto market, as well as helpful tools for people to to supplement their research with. And that's also had a huge uptick. I think I've gained about half the subscribers on that in the past three months. Congrats on all that. I mean, yeah, the, the hard work has paid off. The, the fact that you stuck with it through the bear market and yeah, you're now reaping reaping the rewards. I got to say too, just like going back to your kind of crypto education, aka origin story, it parallels so much with mine. Um, and and I was just thinking as I was listening to you, just, you know, that kind of almost like cliche phrase now, the Chris Dixon quote about, you know, early innovations often look like toys. And that 2017 cycle, everything was very infantile and toy-like. And then 2020, still toys, but maybe less so. I'm hoping that we're moving into these things aren't toys anymore and it's all becoming real in this next bull run. Um, And I guess, you know, to segue to kind of where you're finding your alpha now and maybe for users in general, I I know like in my early days when I was starting out, creating like your own Twitter alpha uh, curated list was huge for me. But there's so many more tools now. There's Telegram groups, Discord groups. Uh, there's YouTube, there's Nansen, there's DeFi Llama, which I've seen you utilize DeFi Llama very well. I think um, I think in the bull you were like pointing out uh, kind of like new stablecoin issuance and and like and looking at the supplies, uh, the kind of like inflows and outflows of stablecoins. And that was actually a section on DeFi Llama I didn't even know existed. So thanks for that. But um, yeah, just kind of curious, like kind of what sort of tooling you're recommending and. Where, what you think is the most important, I guess, tool in your toolbox for 
sourcing, uh, where to look next for things? Uh, first, I would say that Twitter lists, like you mentioned, are still important, especially to find upcoming narratives that might be tougher to quantify. So for example, if you wanted to wanted to get up to speed on the game find narrative, which, which isn't something that's really my focus, but if you wanted to get up to speed on that, then finding niche but high quality Twitter accounts that cover that would be would be a good way to do it. Um, or even something more specific. You know, I know someone who's very into the Gnosis ecosystem and um, has a Twitter list of all the top people in Gnosis and knows um, everything possible uh, to do with that. I mean, he, he actually works in the Gnosis ecosystem, but but I mean, that's an example of something where you can, you know, the market is not totally efficient. There's protocols that make announcements and they get 10 likes and 200 views. Um, and so if you're, if you're really deep in the weeds on a narrative or ecosystem, you can actually actually learn things that only a relatively few number of people know. Uh, but me personally, I use the analytics tools very heavily. DeFi Llama, like you mentioned, is probably the, well, not probably, it is the one that I use the most heavily for sure. Um, unfortunately, it used to be maybe two and a half years ago, just seeing that something was going up in TVL was enough to, to sort of form a narrative around it. Uh, now it gets a little more complicated because too many people use DeFi Llama. I mean, you have YouTube channels with over a million subscribers that now show DeFi Llama on screen. Uh, back then, that wasn't really the case. Uh, but that doesn't mean that it's not useful. You just have to dive a little deeper. So looking at at stats like like um, volume on chain, uh, transactions, unfortunately, are no longer as helpful with inscriptions because like we saw recently in the past few weeks, I don't know if you ever show transaction data on this on this uh, channel, but you had something like chains that would have 200,000 transactions one day and 5 million the next day because of inscriptions, which just makes the metric completely worthless. Um, but looking at other stats uh, like stablecoin volume, exchange volume, perp dex volume, basically just looking at the fundamentals of economic activity. I mean, what I always like to tell people is I visualize each ecosystem as a mini economy so they can do an incentives program and that's like a stimulus for the economy. They can have a boom and bust cycle for the economy as happens in the real world. And then if you want to measure the performance, you can look at either liquidity inflows, which again is like monetary printing or stimulus, or you can actually look at uh, economic activity like volume and stablecoin transfers, which you could think of as like a, as a proxy almost for, for uh, GDP in the ecosystem. This is not a one-to-one -one ratio, but I find that a helpful way to see which ecosystems are actually growing. Okay. So I'm thinking that the way we go about this is we, we, we can talk through, uh, basically like some of the, uh, approaches to different airdrops on different chains. And, and so I think like what, what leads into that is, uh, I'm curious, like what narratives are interesting you the most? Cause a part of identifying an airdrop is playing into what is a hot narrative or what you believe will be a hot narrative. I, I know that's like at least one of my criteria for thinking about where am I going to shift my time, my attention, my, my, my money, of course, my liquidity, it being limited. Uh, so anyways, yeah. What, what narratives I guess are most interesting to you were here in early January, 2024. So I'm coming at it from two different directions right now. First is following the money. And so that is which ecosystems or types of DeFi protocols are attracting new money right now. And if you were to look at it that way, then then I would say Ethereum layer twos are still, if you look at the activity over time, as well as just stablecoin inflows, that's still, I think, a very, very strong, compelling narrative. Um, I, I recently did a recap of 2023 activity and Ethereum layer 2's total, we're doing roughly same number of transactions per second as Ethereum mainnet at the start of 2023. Now they're doing something like six or seven times the number of transactions. And I know I said inscriptions can can uh, cloud that, but vast majority of those are not inscriptions. That's DeFi activity. Um, so, so I would say that's one thing I look at. Um, high throughput layer 1's are another. So that would be things like Solana, like say like some other some other new chains possibly like like SWE. Um and then uh if you look at where the money goes you also have have I would say the modular ecosystem. And so that would be uh for example 
eigenlayer is an important part of that. Uh, Celestia is an important part of that. Yeah, and then and then there's some new ones on the horizon that we can talk about if yeah uh, if you want to that I think also will play an important role in that. Patrick, do you uh, feel like any of these narratives, may- maybe ones that you didn't even mention there, are uh, nearing their peak? You know, like they they kind of come in these waves and. It's, you know, you can see it in the buying and selling behavior. Um, like, I think one that stands out is, uh, yeah, I think a lot of people should be asking themselves, is Solana, uh, you know, going to continue to see the momentum that they saw? And and I'll just, I'll throw in my two cents and say, I think that there's still a lot more growth there, this cycle for Solana, but the there was a magic moment there with the Jito airdrop. There was a few weeks where really most of the world was blind to like how just exciting and enormous like that ecosystem had grown. And now the secret's out. You know, there's there's been a, a run up in terms of new accounts created or new wallets uh, and accounts created for um, different Solana apps. So anyways, uh, not to put words in your mouth with Solana there, but any of the any of the narratives that you feel like might be um, nearing their peak? Yeah, so it's kind of like you said, you have to go where the puck is going. Um, I'm still farming Solana uh, airdrops heavily, for the record, just because the way I look at it is Sol is a part of my portfolio. I think it's going to keep doing well. Um, I mean, I think a good portion of the percent gains, if you were holding from under $20, uh, I think if you managed to get under $10 in the brief period, it was around there. A lot of the good per- good portion of the percent gains are gone, but it's part of my portfolio and I still think it's going to do well. And you can put that soul to use in the ecosystem. And um, and that's applications like MarginFi, Camino, etc. Um, so I think it probably had a local, well, it did, objectively speaking, had a local top a week ago when it went to 120 and then has retraced since then. Um, I don't think the top is in if you look at the sorts of applications that are being built on there. A lot of times I would say they're arguably different uh, in terms of what they're offering than sort of the value proposition that you would have on something like like Ethereum mainnet. So I, I think that it's going to still have that niche, right? People who want to trade. Um, there, there were people, for example, DCAing uh, 10 cents at a time into into meme coins on on Solana. And if there's a demand for that, then there's going to be a demand for a chain that can, can offer that. You can argue about whether that's what role that will have in the future of finance, but that's um, still, still, uh, I think going to be a source of activity. Uh, and, and there's a lot of other interesting things on, on Solana as well, right? They have, um, let's see, I've got my helium, uh, helium mobile card right here. So they have, for example, the helium network, uh, a lot of deep pin activity is being built on there. Um, so I think it'll still do well. And then if I'm going to hold soul, I might as well put it to work by trying to farm airdrops. I mean, one, one thing I think that people sort of get mixed up with airdrops is it's basically yield farming by another name. Because basically what you're doing is you're, rather than farming the token with a set APR right now, what you're doing is you are depositing into the protocol with the expectation that eventually when they launch a token, you'll get an allocation. And sometimes there's, we can talk about points later, but there's even a point system that you can, that you can accumulate points. And there's obviously an assumption that the points will translate to an airdrop. I don't think I've heard of anyone who did a point system that didn't do an airdrop Although that would be pretty, uh, pretty sleazy if someone, if someone did that, right? I would, I would be such a disaster. Oh my gosh! Some somebody somebody will do it though. Like you know, some somebody in crypto will do it. Um, it's just just like a point you were making there that um I think of when thinking of airdrops is like this kind of like game theory that emerges when you're thinking through this thing. So like I agree with DeFi Dad here that. I think some of those early ones are kind of maybe, I don't want to say played out, but the opportunity has diminished some. But if 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 the majority of people start thinking that way and maybe kind of give up on the Camino or the Margin Phi airdrop, then that kind of can create new opportunity there even still. Like if, if you know what I mean, like um, so, so like just that, like that game theoretic kind of approach to airdrop farming is, is really interesting to me too. And then, and sometimes I think like, well, maybe I don't even want to follow the money. Maybe I just want to go somewhere and stake my claim where there is less people, but 
if I've done some research and I have conviction, I think this is where the puck is going as well. Um, I think like that's that's the way I was thinking about the Cosmos ecosystem kind of earlier on. I was like, okay, Cosmos is kind of hard to use, kind of bad UI UX, maybe therein lies opportunity. I think that's been totally squashed. Like I think it's, uh, the, you know, the secret is out, thanks in part to you probably, Patrick, with, with your videos. But uh, I think... I think it'd be good to just to kind of like walk through what we're talking about with this kind of new Cosmos meta that's emerged with airdrop farming. I mean, it's, it's been around with like Cosmos token. Adam has had this built in for ages, but maybe just like walk us through what's happening with staking and airdrops, this kind of like passive game. Yeah, totally. Um, first, actually, I wanted to make a quick point sort of about transition. I would say airdrop farming was mostly focused on Ethereum layer twos. If you were to look in early to mid 2023, and then it kind of transitioned to Solana in the fall. Cause I, th I think there's an important analogy there. So, uh, for longest time, I would say the main airdrop people were farming was arbitrary before they had a token last year. I was farming it heavily. Many other people were, and I would say a lot of people, especially large players kind of had discounted the value of that. Cause there had been a idea for a while that airdrops, especially airdrops that a lot of people were qualifying for, wouldn't be very valuable. And then lo and behold, you had random people who just used Arbitrum every day who got $10,000 plus. Uh, and then because of that, you had a lot of industrial scale airdrop farming of Ethereum layer twos, where you had hundreds of thousands of wallets on ZK Sync era. And so that opportunity was no longer the same as it had been on Arbitrum, right? Because suddenly if you just wanted to use your one wallet, you're competing with these people who have hundreds hundreds and hundreds of wallets. And I think kind of a similar thing played out with Solana recently where Gito was so valuable. I mean, even more valuable if you look at on a per person basis where before that you could just, you know, people deposited a hundred dollars in Gito and cashed out $15,000. Um, it was, it was completely, uh, insane. And, and then that's probably not going to be the case anymore. So like you said, you kind of have to look at where the puck is going. And I think one place that the puck, I actually don't think it's fully played out, but one place you could look at for the puck to move to is Cosmos. And Cosmos has inter this interesting thing in that it's a lot of different blockchains. They're interoperable. And then now there's there's uh, Cosmos blockchains that are also providing infrastructure for for um, rollups. So so also tying into to the layer two scaling vision for Ethereum. And so basically for people who aren't familiar with how Cosmos works, because each chain is it's its own layer one, each chain in Cosmos, when they launch, when they'll do their initial token distribution, oftentimes they'll airdrop tokens to people who are staking other Cosmos chains. So in the past, that was oftentimes Atom, since that's the token of Cosmos Hub. Uh, and you can kind of think of why they would do that, right? Because they want people who are going to be, who are going to hold their token and stake it. They want people who are already involved in the, in the community, um, and there's some degree of, I mean, yes, pe people use multiple wallets, but there's some degree of, of civil protection there because you're actually basing it on, on, you can base it on how much people have staked rather than just basing it on DEX volume, which is easy to wash trade, right? It's a lot e easier to wash trade on a DEX than it is to buy 5,000 Atom tokens and stake them just in the hopes that you get an airdrop. Um, and so, so now you're seeing that for Adam. Uh, and then I think the other big one you're seeing a lot of, we just saw an airdrop this week, uh, but you're seeing a lot of hype for is Celestia because Celestia provides provides uh, data availability for, for uh, modular chains. And so the idea is that chains that use Celestia or even other chains that are building uh, infrastructure for modular chains will want people who are holding TIA tokens to hold their token. And we saw that with the, Dimension airdrop this week. They airdropped to Adam Stakers, Celestia Stakers, and then uh, several other groups as well. Were you surprised actually with the Dimension airdrop? I I didn't see them uh, rewarding as many different groups as that. I would have thought it would be, you know, Tia Stakers and Adam Holders or Adam Stakers, but it actually extended to some Ethereum L2 users and and more folks than that. Um, it's it's an interesting approach with like all that's available now multi-chain wise. And I think it's kind of a wake up call or reminder that if you bury your head in the sand in Ethereum L2s, you miss a lot of opportunity. If you bury your head in the sand with Solana, you miss a lot of opportunities. You bury it in the sand with Cosmos, like 
you, you really should keep an open mind to trying these apps. Yeah, I mean, part of it is that it's all becoming interconnected now too, right? You'll have you'll have uh, rollups at some point that that leverage Celestia, um, this new uh, new dimension application, right? You'll have rollups that that leverage dimension. You'll have rollups. I mean, Eigenlayer is more explicitly uh, uh, in Ethereum, but you'll have you'll have rollups that you already have rollups that use Eigenlayer as data availability. So actually, being aware of all these different chains and narratives, I, I think it's going to become much, sometimes I think there'll be chains that it's much less clear explicitly which ecosystem you're using because, because with expanding cross-chain capabilities, Axelar, layer zero, and then some of these more modular, modular ecosystems, uh, there may be applications that actually leverage technology from different areas. And, and it's important to be aware of that. And even if you don't care about these other things, or you only want to um, you know, your main goal, which is totally fair is for example, to acquire ether BTC, then if there's an opportunity to, to pick up money on the ground, then you can accomplish that goal by, by picking up money on the ground. Now, another thing I found helpful over the years though, is, is if you use a lot of ecosystems and you see certain patterns repeat and for example, a common pattern that you see is you see Dex volume starts to go up on a chain. APRs start to go up and then eventually stable coins start to enter the chain. And, um, that's basically, you know, to a T you can go and look at the actually I tweeted about it at the time, but you can go and look at the DeFi llama charts. That's to a T what happened on Solana where Dex volume was rising through October and November. And then finally all at once, all this money started to rush in to chase the airdrops, to chase the yields. Um, and so you see that pattern play out for time and that's just one of many patterns. And so you can almost view some of these other chains as like training grounds for, for things that could play out in your ecosystem of choice eventually. So Patrick, with everything we've discussed, uh, let's imagine that I am a, a newer user to DeFi. Uh, what sort of like steps would you recommend for getting started identifying and participating in airdrops? Sure. So the first thing I would do is go to DeFi Llama, and they have a section on their website that shows a list of tokenless protocols. So that's the very first thing I would do is because you're probably not going to get an airdrop if there's no, if there's already a token. Uh, but if there's not a token yet, there's a good chance they do some sort of airdrop at some point. And then within tokenless protocols, what I would do is I would look for two things. First is if it's in a ecosystem that's growing, uh, for example, if, if it had been on Solana uh, earlier or a couple months ago, that would have been great. I still think there's some opportunity there, but that would have been great if there's another ecosystem. For example, Injective is one that has a lot of protocols without tokens. That's uh, the price of their main INJ token has gone up a lot. That could be an interesting one to look at. Uh, and second, I'd look for protocols with points systems. So uh, that was what Jito did. They had a points system and it's kind of become the norm now. And and I haven't unfortunately found a good list of protocols that have points programs going on, but that's maybe an advantage because if you actually are willing to put in the time and do the research, then you can find some that are honestly, I think, pretty underfarmed. Uh, for example, there's one, uh, I have no affiliation with them. There's one I was looking at earlier called Prime Protocol. They're uh, backed by Jump and they basically allow you to deposit on one EVM chain and borrow one another. And they have about $15 million of TVL uh, with, with a points program. Uh, but I, you know, it's one of those things that just hasn't gained the sort of awareness that some of these other programs are. And there's lots like that, that have $10 million, even $1 million of TVL and have an ongoing points program. And, and, and you can find those uh, if you're willing to put in the time. I'll add to that. One of the criteria for me is looking at the teams that are backing those tokenless protocols. So assume you've got uh, an L1, L2 that is healthy and growing, has like a lot of interesting narratives, has like a ton of investment money in it. Then I'm thinking about what investors are behind it. And, you know, I mean, it's, it's a joke to look at some of these projects with certain investors and, and even wonder, like, you know, just call it what it is. If Jump is backing them, there's a token coming. They wouldn't invest if there wasn't a token coming. And then throw where they have a points program, right? That's right. They've got a points program. Totally agree with all that. And I think for me, like having done some own my own research and like having conviction 
again on like what I think will be successful down the road, I, I would just add in like with all of those points that that's kind of like that determining factor that will like kind of make me put that extra effort into to to go out to like maybe like a whatever it is a newer chain or newer app or something like that. So I we have we can't do an airdrop podcast without talking about Eigenlayer. So Patrick, maybe for our listeners, uh, if if you can just kind of maybe I, this is this is difficult, but a brief description of Eigenlayer, maybe why it's so important, and like what ways are there right now to, I guess, access this looming airdrop that we know is coming. They're doing a points program. Um, yeah, if you can go over some of those things, that'd be great. Yeah, totally. So uh, Eigenlayer, I think, is probably going to be the biggest airdrop of 2024, assuming they do one. Um, I can't really see anything else on the horizon that would have the uh, potential to be larger in total value distributed at launch. Um, Eigenlayer is basically protocol for, it's called for restaking Ethereum, which probably doesn't explain what it is, but it allows you to take your stake to ETH and then put it to double use by by helping to secure other chains that leverage Eigenlayer. Uh, and then they also offer data availability similar to similar to Celestia. So one way to think about that at a high level for someone is that new layer two rollups that are built will leverage Eigenlayer for either data availability or for their their um, restaking. And so the first way to qualify for that is people should try to restake. Now, I think they're currently caps are full, right? Yeah, I, th- I think they, they just filled up again. So people would want to watch for when those open up. I can drop in just one tiny bit of alpha there. So um, as of this recording, the eigenlayer caps are filled. So the nine LSTs, you, you can't deposit any more of them. There is a trick there, though. Uh, there are two tokens that are currently available, Easy ETH by Renzo Protocol. And then there's EETH by Ether.Fi. So you can drop in some ETH and it's a single token. You don't have to go mint an LST and then restake it. And so part of the reason we really like it is it costs like three, four, five dollars of gas on Ethereum mainnet, which Patrick, you know, is is pretty remarkable for Ethereum mainnet. Um, so anyways, your Ether gets paired up uh, with other Ether in an eigenpod, and that is uncapped. So there's like basically one doorway into Eigenlayer now, and the only way to get in that door is to eETH by Ether.Fi or Easy ETH by Renzo Protocol. It natively restakes into the beacon chain. Um, and and basically eETH is an LST and LRT all in one. So very, very well designed and uh, very well thought out design. Yeah. Um, one other thing I wanted to add is, again, this is speculation. Most things with airdrops, unless you're talking about specific points or speculation. However, one thing I think could increase someone's chance of getting a nice eigenlayer airdrop as well is that there are actually active chains that leverage eigenlayers data availability specifically mantle uh, network formerly built by what was formerly called BitDAO. mantle leverages eigen data availability right now and i could definitely see them rewarding people who are actually using applications that were built using their data availability service that's that's a great call out because also with the mantle token um, if you stake that token, similar to the Cosmos ecosystem, you get Mantle ecosystem uh, airdrops. But it wouldn't shock me if Mantle stakers got uh, an Eigen airdrop as well, like like you're kind of calling out. So we just had Jordy Alexander on from uh, who's kind of like a head of strategy type role. It's called Chief Alchemist, and yeah, to your point, Patrick, there's. Um, there's kind of like a DeFi paradise that they're building there. Um, it, it's a value prop we've noticed with some other L2s, but Jordy is a really interesting sort of figurehead to be guiding that strategy. And I think as a result, they've got this like meth LSP, LST token, which is earning 7.2%, double the rate of the average staking yield. And then they've got this MUSD, which is essentially Ondo's uh, uh token that is backed by t-bill yield so like really cool stuff i mean honestly a lot of the stuff we just mentioned like thought this would take years for some of this to come to fruition in DeFi, but these are very like consumer friendly types of products um and part of that stack as you mentioned is this eigen da 
Um, Patrick, in terms of the other few major airdrops, like just going to kind of like rattle these off, like where do you prioritize your time right now on Solana? You know, we talked about Solana was a, has been a really hot airdrop chain. Uh, what's the next biggest airdrop you think, or the next biggest few airdrops that you are uh, looking forward to? Yeah. So I think the largest ones on Solana will be first off, um, I know this is a DeFi podcast, but their NFT marketplace doesn't have a token and has an active points program. Uh, so I think that one's going to be quite large because their NFT marketplace is truthfully doing a lot of volume. Um, so uh, I've been accruing points on there. Is that Tensor? Sorry to interrupt. That's, That's Tensor. Like... Oh yeah, sorry. I should clarify. That's Tensor. Um, but I think what's going to be really big is also their lending markets. So their two largest, um, I believe they're the two largest lending markets. Certainly the largest one, Margin5, doesn't have a token. Uh, Camino is either the second or third largest lending lending protocol also doesn't have a token. MarginFi has a points program. Camino says they have a points program coming soon. Uh, I think that both of those are going to be quite valuable. Now, the thing to keep in mind with MarginFi is that uh, they've had their points program running since the summer. So you have some people, um, myself included, who have been farming it since then. And um, it'd be a steep run to catch up unless you're depositing millions of dollars. Uh, but that doesn't mean that it's not worth trying to get some kind of allocation. Uh, but just people should know that that uh, that's already been farmed uh, pretty heavily. Might have to rebrand to a margin five whale if things work out here. So um, how about uh, some of the other major L2s that I know you've covered on your channel? So the the few that are top of mind for me, and I'm, I'm wondering if you could like rank, you know, which of these you think is is. Uh, worth spending more of your time, attention, liquidity on. We've got uh, Linea, ZK Sync, Starknet. Uh, was Metis another one as as well? I'm probably forgetting a few more here. There's a there's another one called Mode that I just learned about. Anyways, wh where are you prioritizing your your time? Yeah. So first, as far as Metis, they they already have their token, so I'm not looking at it for an airdrop for the layer two specifically. However, could look at it as a high growth. DeFi ecosystem and there might be protocols in there that would be worth looking at for potential airdrops or just farming outright as as um as a normal yield protocol but in terms of which ones I'm focused on for airdrops I would rank them as Starknet, Linea and then ZK Sync era and a uh, reason for that is that I put Starknet at the top cuz there's the most friction uh to doing it I love and that totally agree <laughs> Yep, and um, and the technology is great too. But the thing is, there's the I would say there's the most friction to using it, which people might consider to be a reason not to use it. But lots of people are going to consider it a reason not to use it. So I think it's less likely to be heavily farmed. And oftentimes you'll see chains will later make it uh, easier for people to access. And and if you were there ahead of time, then suddenly suddenly um, all the liquidity can can rush in. Um, there's one right now. This isn't an airdrop, but uh, say, for example, um, I posted at the time, I said, is it bearish or bullish when I'm having like an insane time trying to access a chain to buy their token? And it turned out to be bullish because I think it was around 20 cents at the time that I couldn't find a bridge to to access it. And then now it's now it's done very well. So Starkness, number one. Uh, Linea, I would put at number two because they are built by consensus, uh, creator of MetaMask, and also because they have this sort of proof of um proof of personhood type thing that you can that you can do through their uh on their on their uh, network and so i think that they're gonna have pretty strong attempts to uh, stop uh, siblers uh, dad will be entirely successful but i think that they're gonna have pretty strong attempts to do that the zk sync era i think will be valuable it's just that so many people are farming it that uh that it's going to be a little bit more competitive to go back to a point you made i think the easier something is to access and use, it's probably more likely more will participate and hence will dilute the opportunity in terms of the airdrop. And, and to ZK Sync's credit, I think that they've built more bridges, better applications and so on. Whereas like Starknet for me is like, there's so little to do on it. And it's, you got to download uh, new wallets. Like there's nothing like a MetaMask that you can use that you're already using on other chains. So um, yeah, totally buy into that. The harder the UX is or the more challenging, probably the better the opportunity is, the less likely others will participate. Um, 
Patrick, though, th this is probably a good place for us to start to wrap up. So um, I, I want to first uh, invite you to come back again. I, I feel like we, we clearly ran out of time. There's just there's too much to talk about with you. We're, we're all uh, excited for all these different farming opportunities. But for folks that are, whether you're new or you're a pro in DeFi, you should follow Patrick uh, on YouTube. The YouTube channel is Dynamo DeFi. It's at Dynamo DeFi if you go to YouTube.com. You should follow Dynamo underscore Patrick on Twitter, X, whatever people call it nowadays. And then um, I wanted to give you a final word to uh, tell us a little bit about Coinbeats um, before you go. Um, so you're the co-founder of Coinbeats. What is it and how can we get involved? Totally. Coinbeats is a platform I've uh, been building. And basically what it is, is it's educational materials. And then paired with the educational materials, we'll have live trivia contests uh, that you can earn token rewards for. And those will either be stable coins or the tokens of the protocol that we're making content. So for example, we did a few recently with, I would say, pretty well-regarded protocols in the Arbitrum ecosystem where they put up prize pools ranging from $150 to $500. And then people who participated in these live shows could answer questions about what the application did and then getting into some more detailed features of the application. And then the people who answer the most correct, the fastest actually got paid for. And Patrick, if you're a protocol that wants to um, be featured on Coinbeats, what's the best way to get in touch with you? Uh, best way to get in touch uh, would be to message me on Twitter and then I can connect you with our, with my co-founder as well as our BD person. Awesome, man. Well, um, thank you again. Thanks for being so generous with your time and uh, just keep up the great work. Like I said, I was watching uh, one of the Say videos, which is a more recent one, uh, and just really enjoy how you explained it all. So um, anyways, hope, hope we can have you back in the future. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks everyone for tuning in. If you're a talented founder or developer, please consider reaching out to our team at fourthrevolution.capital. And for future episodes of the Edge podcast, please check out our link tree at edge underscore pod. Mm -hmm.